Abby Normals. Welcome to Deeply Disturbing Things. The podcast. I'm Macy. And I'm Naomi. And I'm Sarah. And we're three anxious counselors who like to talk about deeply disturbing things. We're here to educate, enlighten, and entertain. Heck yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Is that our new thing we say? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> okay. So hard. <laughs> I think I'm first oh. today. You are first today. Yep. Cheers. This is great. Cheers. Oh. oh my God. Why do I have 80 font that Macy can see? I did read that because it was 80 font and all there. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> it was literally the whole size of your screen. No, it's so big. Okay. Well, I'll just cut to the chase. I'm going to talk about giants. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because giants were real. I mean, they may still be, but giants definitely were real at one time. I'm going to focus (laughs) on like, Okay. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. Well, you're from Nevada, right? Or you just live there? No, I'm from California, but I lived in Nevada for six years. Okay. I'm going to talk specifically about the cannibalistic tribe of red-haired giants of ancient Nevada. Mm -hmm. What? Okay. Yes. Giant skeletons have been found all over the U.S., actually all over the world. But I really wanted to just focus on giving a little overview of the U.S. situation and then more details on the ancient Nevada tribe. Skeletons seven feet tall and even taller have been reported in lots of newspapers back in the day oral traditions of indigenous cultures and other historical accounts in the Ohio River Valley, which is supposed to be like where the giant culture in the U.S. sort of started and then maybe spread out. That's one of the theories. A report from a local paper that was backed up by Scientific American, no less. Science in America found bodies of several giants buried under a 10 foot tall mound. What constitutes a giant? Because to me, my five, three, five, four on a good day, six foot feels pretty giant. So most of the reports are between like, it can go from like six and a half feet to 10 feet. Dang. A lot like, but in that seven, eight range, Mm -hmm. but I mean, have you seen like NBA players? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Animal cracker. Like they're tall. She's tall. An animal yeah. cracker was only six four. That's crazy. But on skate, oh, six eight. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. So ten okay, foot tall. The gentle tall. giant. Right? <laughs> gentle giant. Mm-hmm. Which one? Um animal cracker. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant Andre. Oh yeah. Oh, he is also a gentle giant. I love the princess bird. Yeah. Such a good book and movie. So these mounds. These burial mounds is a whole nother topic, but I'll touch on them just a little bit because it's important to the background and the history. Have you heard of the mounds, the giant mounds? No. This is in the U.S. This is like... In Nevada. Well, they're all over the U.S. Oh. (laughs) This one in particular (laughs) is in the Ohio River Valley, but they're (laughs) like the U.S. version of the pyramids. Okay. But they're... They don't sound as cool. They need to come up with something better than that. Well, they kind of, they kind of look like mounds. Mounds. <laughs> Pyramid was a cool word for a triangle. Yeah. I think we could do better than mound. Well, some of them are that same shape, shape mm-hmm. as a pyramid with the you know the base that's for like maybe four we could by four. do something cool called like a tiramai. And people be like, why it's called that? Why is it called that? Because it's kind of like a pyramid, but not. 
Yeah, I think we got to consult with the tribes. Mm. I don't know. They probably have some cool word that's way better than mounds. Mm-hmm. I just sometimes think of either. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Like yeah, mounds. Deeply disturbing. Hmm. I don't know the commercial that well. I'm enjoy. I love it. That's my favorite one. And okay. I don't know that song. Wait. Well, then, so, then you feel like a nut. Isn't Almond Joy different than nuts? Or is yes. It the same? That's different Almond candy. Joy has nuts. Mouths don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like a nut. I don't love those candies, by the way. I, I like Almond Joy. I love coconut. I'm always mm-hmm. a fan of coconut. Like wherever that nice it's little almond up. in there is a nice little nutty little break. treat. Yeah. Little protein. Enjoy Have it. Mm-hmm. It always makes me cough, though. I don't know what about the that process. Interesting. Same, yeah. It's... One female skeleton was found holding a three and a half foot long child. Three and a half foot child. How old long this? child? Like a baby? Like a baby? It was a three like and a half foot baby? Baby. baby. Yes, oh. that's a big baby. <sighs> big baby. So you know me. I'm always like. I'm not going to just believe these articles that are all saying it was backed up by the Scientific American. I want to see for myself. Mm -hmm. So I went and looked at the Scientific American archives. Sure enough, I found two articles. One was titled Giant Skeleton Found, which I just copied and pasted. That's That's why it's 85 found (laughs) font. Um, It's because it's a giant font. Giant font. Giant bones, big font. Yeah. From 1856 and then Giant's Bones from 1850. And there was a link where you could download a PDF. But interestingly, it, for both of these articles, it said that it was not functioning. I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, they knew I was coming looking, <laughs> hiding the evidence. Yeah. But I did. I mean, I couldn't read it, but they had like a little like thumbnail of the newspaper. So I'm going to say it's, you know, plausible. Cahokia is another one of many ancient Native American sites, and this is where the Monk's Mound is located. And this mound is I mean, is anyone else thinking, like, highly inappropriate sexual mound, Monk's Mound is really big? That's really, sounds dirty. Sounds dirty. Sounds like a bad porno. I wouldn't think that. Sounds like a bad porno. Sounds like a bad porno the United States government would make and then not release. Monks mounds. Refer to um, episode. Refer back to previous episode. Yeah. Monks Mount is roughly the same size as its base as the Great Pyramid of Giza, which is 13.1 acres. That's what she said. It's big. (laughs) And here, among lots of other cool artifacts, were massive axe heads. And I watched a video where they're showing them because there's a little museum you can go to. And is it a little museum or a big museum? It's a little a museum, museum with some giant things, like mm-hmm. a massive axe head this long, 30 pounds. Who can wield an axe head that big? I can wield very little, honestly. 30 pound axe head, 18 <laughs> inches long. Yeah, like lift it up. And, oh. and it was definitely an axe head because they had a whole bunch of other examples of mm-hmm. like typical sized axe heads mm-hmm. from back in those times. There are news articles from the 1800s and early 1900s in the New York Times and other um, supposedly reputable sources that document rough handling of the giant skeletons when they're being removed from the burial, burial grounds. 
There are also many articles documenting skulls that could fit over an average man's head like a helmet. Double rows of teeth. (laughs) These double rows of teeth come up often, and occasionally there were small horn protrusions. Often the skulls were said to turn to dust as soon as they were removed from their burial chambers. So there is article upon article upon article from all over the U.S. documenting this stuff in from the you know the 1800s up to even the mid 1900s. There was some I saw that were still in the 50s. There's a fellow Jim Vieira who stars in the History Channel's Search for Lost Giants. And he says he thinks that back in those times, everybody was aware of the mounds and that giant and the existence of giants, because this was primarily an agrarian time. So everybody's out there, you know, Mm -hmm. in the fields and all that, plowing the land, harvesting the bounty of the earth. There's even a supposed... It's changed. I don't know where you went. You were gone. (laughs) You were out there. I was out mountains. there. I was in the field. I was so in the fields. Tilling. I'm gonna. Like a guided I'm gonna. I know. I'm gonna listen back just to hear you. I was tilling <laughs> at that moment. I felt it. I was there for a moment. <laughs> you brought you, us back. I could smell the hay. <laughs> the barley. So even Abe Lincoln, honest Abe, wouldn't tell a lie. In a written account of a speech that he was going to give at Niagara Falls, he wrote, quote, the eyes of that species of extinct giants whose bones fill the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara as ours do now, unquote. So I guess the term mounds has been around for a while. We may have trouble rebranding it. It I feel like we could do better. When did he do the speech? um back when he was alive at some point (laughs) you think (laughs) when was he alive 1860s when did they Mm -hmm. stop making those hats i mean silver war was like ended what 1865 ish so sometime in that era Mm -hmm. viera believes that a prejudiced narrative was created to discredit native americans or portray them as savages because if they were seen as having built the mounds, it would show them as mathematically and technically advanced. And, you know, that gets in the way of the controlled narrative of manifest mm-hmm. destiny. And they can, so they can come up with manifest destiny, but they use the word mounds. <laughs> Removal of any evidence of the giants might have occurred because it didn't align with manifest destiny. And I, you know, I dove into this. There's so many different things. I'm like, Oh, future topic, future topic. Mm -hmm. But there's these stoneworks on the East coast that have largely been credited to the colonial folks. And and he went in there and he's like, there's no way this is way, way older than that. So there's a general discrediting of the ingenuity of um, ancient tribes. So many of the mounds were allowed to be destroyed by settlers and farmers during the colonization of America with really no regard, blatant disregard to the reverence that the natives held for them. They're sacred spaces. 
So we don't really know. I mean, I don't really know whether the tall skeletons belong mm -hmm. to a separate race of giant natives themselves or to another race that predated them. But um, it is generally thought that the Native American Indians did largely revere, or in, some, in the case that I'll be telling you about, fear um, these giant natives. There's also a conspiracy that the skeletons were handed over to the Smithsonian who disappeared them. Hmm. There are reports of the museum, which I didn't look into this, but um, that there are 17 cases of the Smithsonian uncovering giant skeletons over seven feet tall. And, you know, the probability of a human growing that tall is apparently 0.000007%, meaning they would have had to excavate two and a half million bodies to have found 17 skeletons of that size. <laughs> but either way, there is currently no record of the giant skeletons in existence now. Lots of tons of records of them being unearthed, of them being witnessed, of them being transported here or there, but they're they're gone now. Who's doing all this disappearing? The, some people have pointed some fingers at the Smithsonian, but I think that there are probably others involved. I mean, they, they're not that powerful. Like what's the motive behind that for them? Well, control the for narrative the for the Smithsonian. Control the narrative. I mean, if there's this whole other, you know, I mean, there's a structure that certain people want to set up that of how, why we're who we are and mm -hmm. why we're here, and that kind of throws a wrench in things. And like you said, to make it sound seem like they were like savage, uneducated, or just and not capable of. Well, mm -hmm. and I could see it just from the like, if they're like, well, that's not plausible. We're not supporting that. We don't have enough evidence. We're not going to put it in our museum sort of thing. I could see them saying that. No, I don't know the people. Well, there's lots of evidence that they took the skeletons, but no record of where they are. Do, do we actually like, do we have, how do we know that they took them? Um, so this is where I didn't go to source material, but there's articles that have said that the Smithsonian had a division for exploring mounds and that there is a written record of them uncovering mm -hmm. giant skeletons whose bones crumble to dust when exposed to the air. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I don't have any connections to that. Because mm -hmm. that sounds like you could have fed the narrative that they were savages, though, like, oh, these giant, you know. People that I don't know, just it's make make it sound like a scary thing or like fear based mm -hmm. thing, but yeah, for some reason, yeah, and know. it's not known to the giants, you know, build these mounds or were they just living at the same time as other tribes? Um, in some cases, I read about the giants were buried on a lower level, like a lower layer than hmm. other native tribes so i'm not sure interesting yeah i want to know more somebody tell right. me if you know more yeah this is i'm curious back to our cannibalistic red-haired <laughs> giants of ancient nevada 
The Paiute tribe lived in the same area at the same time as the red-haired giant. So here they're coexisting in the same time period and place. And the Paiute tribe called them Sitika, which I may be mispronouncing that, probably. The Paiutes told stories of the red-haired giants to the early white settlers. And the story was written down by Sarah Winnemucca Hopkins in a book that she published in 1882. She wrote about what she described as a small tribe of barbarians who ate her people in her book called Life Among the Paiutes, Their Wrongs and Claims. She was the daughter of a Paiute chief and she was an activist. So this purpose of this book is really, she wanted it known how her people had been done dirty by the whites and you can download for free the book i downloaded it um looked through it i mean she's not pulling punches she's like they did this they lied about this like this was shitty this was shitty yeah yeah so it's important to note that winnemucca does not use the word giants but calls them barbarians um so i'm just going to Tell, tell a little bit of excerpts from that section of her book because, you know, I love I love me some source material. <laughs> okay, so this is Sarah Winnemucca Hopkins. Among the traditions of our people is one of a small tribe of barbarians who used to live along the Humboldt River. It was many hundreds of years ago. They used to waylay my people and kill and eat them. They would dig large holes in our trails at night. And if any of our people traveled at night, which they did, for they were afraid of these barbarous people, they would oftentimes fall into these holes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is creepy. That tribe would even eat their own dead. Could you imagine if we were walking over here from your we house like we did? We just fell into, fell into a cannibal pit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yes, they would, <laughs> they would even come and dig up our dead after they were buried and would carry them off and eat them. Now, I was reading this. I'm like, 1882, female writer? Like, this is graphic. I got right. some respects for Sarah Winnemucca Hopkins. Yeah. Like, just telling it. <laughs> My people say they were very brave. When they were fighting, they would jump up in the air after the arrows that went over their heads and shoot the same arrows back again. <laughs> so, you know, you're getting an arrow shot at you, you grab it and just send it back. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty <laughs> badass. Mm-hmm. My people took some of them into our families, but they could not make them like themselves. So at last they made war on them. Mm-hmm. This war lasted a long time. Their number was about 2,600. So a lot of giants. Mm-hmm. The war lasted some three years. At last one night, they all landed on the east side of the lake and went into a cave near the mountains. It was a most horrible place for my people watched at the mouth of the cave and would kill them as they came out to get water. My people would ask them if they would be like us and not eat people like coyotes or beasts. Mm -hmm. They talked the same language, but they would not give up. At last, my people were tired and they went to work and gathered wood and began to fill up the mouth of the cave. At last, my people set it on fire. At the same time, they cried out to them, 
Will you give up and be like men and not eat people like beasts? Say quick, we'll put out the fire. No answer came from them. They tried, yeah. In 10 days, some went back to see if the fire had gone out. They went back to my third or fifth grandfather and told him they must all be dead. There was such a horrible smell. My people say the tribe we exterminated had reddish hair. I have some of their hair, which has been handed down from father to son. I have a dress, which has been in our family a great many years, trimmed with this reddish hair. I'm going to wear it sometime when I lecture. It is called the morning dress, and no one has such a dress but my family. That's great and horrifying. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think about that? Horrifying. That accounts. Horrifying. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting that they speak the same language. Right, right. So mm-hmm. may, maybe they just lived in the same small, area. isolated geographic area for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then they, they tried to, like, quote, unquote, civilize them. Yeah, mm-hmm. make peace. and But they kept eating them. And they're like, no, <laughs> the tasty people couldn't us. I mean, this is like, I mean, it's like Aww. a spider in my house. I just like, if you just don't crawl on me, I won't have to set you on fire. You said spiders <laughs> on fire, Macy? That's horrible. Yeah, like a torch. My God. <laughs> that is brutality. Another level. So... You might be thinking like, okay. You I know, mean, that's that's a reason reason was my point. Okay. <laughs> so is there evidence that this story is true? <laughs> yes, there is. Mm. The site of the killing of the Satika is known today as Lovelock Cave. Have you been there, Sarah? Have you been there in your travels? No. I want to go there now. I'd like to go, though. It's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you wouldn't mm. think, um, oh, look at, oh, whose phone is this? Look it up on Google Earth, like Lovelock Cave. Pretty yeah. You wouldn't Thanks. know there was a cave there. It's really hidden. And I didn't read that whole thing. I just took cave out bits. Lovelock? Lovelock Cave. How is it named? Google, I'll go to Google Earth. How does the name Love get involved? Lovelock. Do lovers go it had a It had a lot of names. <laughs> I don't know. That's just what it's called now, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Okay, now to do Earth. So, Sarah Winnemucca Hopkins said that her people didn't even know that cave existed, and until the city kind of retreated there. But it's really in the in the middle of nowhere, and you cannot see. Yes, love that cave. Well, but Nevada. Nevada. But just a little block. Oh, there it goes. Think of that movie, The Hills Have Eyes. Here we go. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's a town. Is it a town? Um, well, we did the cave. Part. I did put cave in and didn't. Come it up. took it away. I'd hate to. Rude. <laughs> well, Macy is looking up Lovelock Cave. And uh, maybe you are too. Maybe you've beat Macy mm-hmm. to the punch. During the early part of the 20th century, archaeologists found thousands of artifacts inside this cave, which led to a lengthy excavation of the site and speculation that this Paiute story was real. Because, you know, as 
what people often do they're like oh it's just a legend that sarah's telling because there is a discounting oh, sarah's telling got it yeah the, the other the sarah, other sarah. Yeah. because um like people from like what european western kind of heritage seem to discount the credibility of oral traditions like oh mm-hmm. if it's not written in a certain way it can't be true but i think we need to respect that oral traditions are a legitimate way mm-hmm. of sharing information mm-hmm. and documenting information so people are like oh maybe what we thought was just a legend is actually real when we came across some of that when we were doing the um sign language history and learning about oh. how people have discredited um, sign languages as a legitimate language because it didn't follow the same grammar types as English did or French. Yes, we need to expand our minds. In 1886, a mining engineer from Lovelock was told about this, these red-haired cannibalistic tribes by the local natives, and he went out to the site because he wanted to prove it existed. He couldn't get an archaeological dig going because, you know, people are like, no, no, dude. Uh, But two miners (laughs) realized, yeah, we're not really into proving giants are real. Uh, But then two miners that went up with them saw that, like, the whole kid was covered with guano, which is bat bat food. I know that from East Ventura. Me too. That was my reference book. And what I learned is guano was an ingredient to make gunpowder, which I did not know. And so now people are motivated to go start digging up the cave. Bunch of buttholes. At that point. So Mm -hmm. in 1911, a a dig was created to not do an archaeological dig, but to do the dig out the guano for profit. They stripped a layer of guano from the cave that was about three to six feet deep. So it was blocking the entrance of the cave. That's how much guano there was. Somebody one day is going to be like, we really need to catch some Macy poops. And all her poops have blocked the entrance of her previous home. We must excavate. Oh, my God. I hope you're not going to be pooping that much. Who knows? Uncontrolled. After my body did with COVID and I just, who knows? Um, whatever that one thing was I had, norovirus. Norovirus, I mean, yeah. My body does amazing things. I heard it's going around the country right now. No! I have two staff out at work. Isn't I'm fine. Sore throat? I don't I mean, I'm sure it's, it's, it's no, it's, it's like extensive body evacuation like, from every end all the time. And you feel like you're dying in your insides. The, they just went at it with a pick and shovel. Didn't, you know, not, not very effective. No regard to artifacts, you know, that might be there. Um, just going for the guano, just breaking shit up. Podcast name. Which one? Going for the guano. <laughs> <laughs> but then um, the miners had told the U- University of California Anthropology Department, like, hey, you know, we, we dug some shit up. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> that, one that one's good in context. <laughs> and so the first archaeological dig of Love Luck um, did happen in 1912. And then a second dig took place in 1924. 
And then a report, the official report by UC California was published in 1929. And, you know, they found all kinds of cool stuff. There was approximately 10,000 archaeological specimens, including tools, bones, baskets, and weapons. There were 60 average height mummies unearthed. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And for their meals, right? Well, this is just average height. Yeah, but that's, that's who they ate. People. They were that was like their snacks. Oh my gosh, maybe it was snacks. <laughs> a sandal over Human 15 stick. inches long was excavated. That's a big ass sandal. That's a big foot. Mm-hmm. Big ass sandal. A big ass sandal. There was a donut-shaped stone with 365 notches carved along the outside and 52 corresponding notches on How the How many inside. people they ate? Well, scientists are thinking it was a calendar, which speaks to, you know, awareness (laughs) of um, bodily functions on the day. Science. So these finds were very old. Radiocarbon (laughs) dating showed vegetable materials back to 2030 BCE, a human femur back to 1450 BCE human muscle tissue back that old all these poor people that were eaten in this cave <laughs> during the initial excavations there were reports of mummified remains being found of two red-haired giants not one but two red-haired giants weren't they didn't they say there's like 2400 of them though 2600 originally originally so that's not how many were in the cave I imagine 2,600 people. Well, they went to war for three years, so maybe some ran away, but some right. were killed right. outside right. the cave. That's right. Which one, they did. They killed Yeah, one was a female, six and a half feet tall, and the other was a male over eight feet tall. Mm-hmm. However, as I mentioned, no evidence of these skeletons where there's clear documentation of them being pulled out of this cave, being pulled out of these mounds around the country. Where are the skeletons? Where are the skeletons? Where are the skeletons? Tell us. United States government. Who is covering this up? Which porno did you not release for this one? Oh, wait, we already know. The monk's mound. (laughs) In an article published in the Nevada Review Minor in 1931. Not Ursa Major. It was reported that... E-R, not O-R. It was minor like It was a bad joke. Oh, <laughs> it was a really bad joke. I'm getting some gold. It was reported that... It went good places, so I'm glad I said it. Two very large skeletons were found near Lovelock. Mm-hmm. So these are two totally different skeletons. One was reported to have been measured 8.5 feet tall. And the other was nearly <laughs> 10 feet tall. And if you've ever seen the photos of like the world's tallest man, who is like, I think he was nine feet tall. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's huge. Look, look at world tallest man. So this is 10 feet tall. I know. I was thinking that you'll beat me. <laughs> and listeners at home, see if you can beat Macy and Robert Sarah. Oh, Got it. Wait. My phone, so yes. Look at that picture. That's what nine feet tall looks like. That's freaking huge. I'm like up to his kneecap. <laughs> so imagine 10 feet tall. 
so imagine the whole tribes like this that are freaking fast, cannibalistic. I'd be, they say they were fast. Yeah, because they could jump up and grab the arrows and shoot them back to them. Yeah. Plus they can dig holes hella fast in the night on the trail. They're not like digging holes fast. Yeah, as I was saying, there's back. nothing saying that that, and I thought they said their tribe members were brave because they would catch it and put it back. It's because I mean I think you're getting a little fantastical here. <laughs> That's for Sarah Winnemucca Hopkins. Those are no, not but, I thought, but, but I. Right. No, she was talking about the giants. Yeah, that's tall. I mean, it makes sense though if there's <clears throat> giant people getting together. I mean, producing, I'm they're going to make tall I'm children and that get together. They're tall and fast because I feel like I can at least spot them across their eyes. If they, they were small, they're small and fast. I'd be really freaked out. Like, again, we all know my fear of scary children. <laughs> I don't like it. Fast just seems creepy. Like fast is, it's like zombies. Like, it shouldn't be fast zombies. They should. <laughs> Your brain dead. Motor skills. Come on. Fast spiders. So sometimes fast spiders get fires. People these days have double, double rows of teeth. That still happens. So. Sharks. There's a thought that maybe the their descendants mm-hmm. of the giants because mm-hmm. yeah, they had the that, double rows yeah, of teeth. Yeah, my son that. has sharp teeth. Does double he? rows, just two. But the are you a giant? Teeth. You are tall. Yeah, oh my gosh. Maybe. Oh my gosh. Undercover redhead. Get I out. Get out. <laughs> if you start running fast, I'm gonna get concerned. <laughs> In summary. <laughs> the Lovelock Cave is a significant site because it's largely considered an example of a quote unquote legend being confirmed. What are you putting on your to do list? Sarah's here on a legit to do list. It Can says to do. What are you doing? Not work on your meal planning during the podcast. Is it to do? I'm putting in the longest to do list. Do you know? I know. Do you I know to do list to do? No, make anxiety worse. Don't have a to do list like that. That's horrible. To do list. No so. calendars with specific dates instead of lists like that. That's anxiety provoking. But I was just putting. Hey, tit- I was putting right. titles for the podcast. I like my to do list. You know what my first thing is. Make a will because you're gonna die. I I have a professional will. You're on it, by the way. I need a will. She's my. If I kick you're off your charge, yeah, but it's not official. It's just on my website. I'll just let you know that. I'll take. I'll just say, hey, I know she wanted me. So, so in this case, what was confirmed by archaeological evidence was the story that had been passed down through oral tradition um, that the Paiutes elders had been telling their children for years. Lovelock Cave was officially designated a historical site in 1984. Hmm. And I'll just finish with this photo. So this is purportedly a real photo of a skeleton, one of the skeleton, mummified skeletons that was exhumed and disappeared. I want to know why they disappeared them. Unless it was just innocent where they opened up the... And they all no, I doubt it was in there's never innocence. There's never innocence. I mean, when all of them are gone. So I'm just gonna if that is legitimately real, then it legitimately has been covered up because there's no way it's like Bigfoot. 
if Bigfoot existed, he would have been hit by a car at some point. Someone would have been dragged their body around. So, like, somebody else other than Smithsonian would have gone and dug it up. So, someone intentionally has gone out and made sure that those places have been recovered and then hidden. Hopefully hidden, because then they could be recovered. I hope not destroyed. Because mm-hmm. that would just suck. Well, I wouldn't put it past them because they're a bunch of dicks, but okay. Well, giants are real, folks. You hear it here first. Mm-hmm. Breaking news. Don't be shocked when they come out of the mountains one day. <laughs> All right. So I was going to print mine. Like I was, what is this? Get out. You can throw papers around again. Get away from me. It's my favorite thing. So, but then my printer was like, your alignment's off. Skip. And I said, skip. And then my paper got stuck in my printer sideways. And then I was all over. So I had to get via email. So that's my warning. I feel like I should scoot back up. No, that makes me look like a giant. Oh, are you a giant, Sarah? Everything's connected. Okay. She just looks like you have a really big head. <laughs> Don't give her compliments. Like that on the podcast last week, I was really close, and then it would show your guys' heads all nice and proportionate, and then I would be like, oh. "Hey, I hated it." It's the angle is towards you. Just so every full disclosure, so look, the angle. Has Sarah closer? It's so all about the angles. Here, here, zoom in, zoom in. Show them what. How, show them what so my much. actual head. Perfect. Okay, great. I'm there. Thanks. Okay. I'm not sure what that exercise was about, but proportion. making sure people knew I didn't have a giant head. Okay, I do. A giant's head or a giant's head. <laughs> you already established your son has a double row of teeth, so and you're a little tall and. Too pretty. How tall are you? Five seven. It's close. I'm five five and a quarter. All right. Okay. So I found a lunchbox. This is how this all started. This is the origin story. So I found a lot lunchbox at the thrift store with Steve Irwin. Mm. Wait, Steve Irwin. Is that the right one? I think so. Crocodile hunter? Oh yeah. my God. And it has him like jumping in. It's like this holographic. My family's thing. still in mourning about I that. I know. It's so sad. So that's not my topic. That's a pretty short. But I follow topic. his family still. Right, right. The kids are so, so cute. So cute. Robert's a freaking babe now. Is he? Yeah, he's cute. Yeah. I haven't seen him. He just turned 18, so I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's not my topic, but that's where it starts. So I got this lunchbox. I was so excited because it was actually from 2002, which is before I passed away. Um, so it felt like this cool, like it has a thermos and all that, like this kid's lunchbox. It's that's cool. fun. Um, so my topic, did I was, buy it? I did. I have oh, it. Cool. I, I should have brought it and I didn't. <laughs> show and tell. Next show time. So I was like, oh, I'm going to look up about how like performers Die by like all the people who are on dangerous animal shows. Like, is this a thing that happens that, that people are dangerously involved in? Which sounds deeply disturbing. And yes, it is. But I didn't like find that much that was really interesting to me, honestly. And I kind of feel like they deserve it. So I didn't want to get <laughs> talk more about it. So instead, though, what kept coming up over and over again is how Hollywood and entertainment treats animals. Mm. And that is what I decided to talk about mm. today. Okay. Um, so talking about specifically the entertainment industry, Hollywood movies, and the treatment of animals, and I have you heard of um 
Edison's elephant before? I have not. No. But elephants make me sad just looking at them. Yes. So because they're so majestic and so smart and abused nice. and endangered. Yeah. They're so good to their babies and their tribe. Yeah. People just matriarch. like kill them. Have you heard of Thomas Edison's elephant electrocution? No, it's terrible. Thomas Edison. I know. So Should like, we all stop using Edison bulbs immediately? Immediately. Turn the lights Hipsters. Get Except rid of them. Not that cute. After this, we can still use my little LED one because that's wow. different. No, that one's different. No, but you know, Edison not... bulbs that are all on trend. Oh, the yeah, the my fan entire fan porch is covered with them. Enabler. Okay, so so there were okay, so okay, let me start. So Thomas Edison's elephant electrocution um is is an elephant who was killed and filmed as part of entertainment so oh, terrible <laughs> terrible i can't even watch dumbo so topsy it's too sad and this cartoon and i can't watch it which one dumbo, dumbo. oh yeah, makes no i have to watch it and then yeah. like in jail like yeah. in return to holy oh i can't oh fuck that shit so this elephant why would they do something like that this elephant was charged with three deaths. Okay, so. Oh, so this was like capital punishment? So the third death was a cruel trainer that she had who tried to feed her a lighted cigarette. Mm -hmm. Naturally, she killed him, obviously. This sounds like <laughs> victim blaming 101. Right. So Don't blame the elephant. Don't. Edison electrocuted Topsy, Topsy the elephant with alternating currents to show how dangerous it was so he found out about this dangerous elephant who killed who had killed people and so then he wanted to be able to demonstrate electrical current with her death hmm. um i hate you edison part this was part of his feud with nikola tesla tesla had over way it. tesla had way better technology so at the time it. by the way um different topic different day mm -hmm. but um, so this was in his feud, and it was uh, titled Electrocuting an Elephant in 1903. Um, the idea was to find the most merciful way to kill Topsy was his his labeling of it. Okay. And that's such a cute name. Topsy. So in the 1920s, motion picture industry boomed and started getting new genres and in the back then you could do really almost anything to an animal or an actor honestly um and as many uh so the mo uh, movie back then called ben-hur oh, yeah. as many as a hundred horses died yeah, in the I've making of, of that I movie because mm -hmm. they were really doing the right. stuff that they're filming. well and all those crazy chariot races and shit. Right, right. So they had all these like really big project ideas and they could, at that time, there really was no concern, I think, publicly about the animal's well-being um, for the most part, um, socially. So then once sound got involved in movies in 1927, profits really started taking off. Studios started finding ways to get um, more and more people to come in. Animal actors were part of this process. Dramas, comedies, adventure stories, musical biographies. 
all used animals in most movies, um, but the genre that used them the most was Westerns. So the popularity of Westerns was really hard on horses. Uh, Westerns were 2030s um, and then boomed in the 1940s. People were more familiar with horses then um, and more attuned to the dangers of a runaway team of horses or the dangers of a horse and rider falling. So directors showed lots of falls. That was pretty common in the um, shows or movies. And they would use things, they were called pitfalls um, or trip wires to make horses intentionally so fall. So they'd have the horses, you know, going super fast and oh. intentionally trip them. Um, and there were some, there were some stunt horses who would fall at a signal that were trained to do that. Um, trained horses jump through windows, through flames. They leapt over wagons. They That's still would rampage. Yeah, go <laughs> through buildings. <clears throat> CGI. <laughs> oh, it's not real. I mean, most of it, yeah, because there's so much more attention on animal welfare in movies now. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of this was regular injury and often death of horses um, in the westerns. Sometimes individual horses became known, and they would get kind of protected because of their fame. So they would, uh, there was a, uh, and often because the actors really liked them. So Western star William Hart had a famous Pinto Fritz. Beautifully trained, Fritz would fall on command, lie down, act as a shield in a gunfight, and play scenes with a monkey. Uh, singer Jim McKee had a scene in which Hart rode Fritz off a cliff into a gorge, but the actor didn't want to risk hurting Fritz, so, or a stunt horse, actually. So a fake Fritz was actually constructed. There you go. Hart was filmed galloping onto the edge on Fritz, at which a point on cue, the horse did a fall to one side and then was led away and replaced by fake Fritz. Held, that was held up by a wire. The fake. Um, um, Hart was badly shaken by the fall, even just the, the fall to the side um, and wrote um, Petring Day Mitchum and Hollywood Hoofbeats um, that the horse... <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> I tried to keep a straight face. That the horse was chillingly spectacular. Um, so much so that the motion picture producers ended up um, explaining, had to explain why he had been so cruel to Fritz previously. So all of a sudden you start hearing like advocates. Yeah, like why are we doing this? Now defend why you're making them do that. Mm-hmm. But this is really the exception to the rule. Most Hollywood horses aren't famous, um, less recognized, and viewed as disposable. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1939, two horses were killed in the filming of Northwest Mounted Police and two more in Jesse James. The horses in Jesse James were wearing movie blinkers with eyes painted on them. Unable to see, the the horses had no idea they were running off a 75-foot cliff over white water until it was too late. What the fuck? The footage was impressive. The stuntman was well paid, but the horses died. Like they painted over their eyeballs and sent them over a cliff. Mm -hmm. So they'd be running nonstop. That's Jesse James. I've never seen it. I haven't either. Never will. But they were really the spaghetti westerns and stuff were really popular for a a very long time, actually. Um, probably a big uh, money surge into Hollywood for sure. So I was like, as I was reading about, this is why my topic turned. I was like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Yeah, because you're a, a horse person. I, I am a horse. I, I think even if you're not a horse person, it's still like paper. It's still, I, eyes. You've been up close and personal. I have. 
You're such a Californian. <laughs> been up close and personal with a horse. Yes, I did 4-H and barrel racing. Yeah. Um, oh, barrel so, racing too. Mm-hmm. You're a woman of many talents. Yep. <laughs> this was the singest, single biggest turning point for a Hollywood treatment of animals. Word about death got out, and there was a lot of um, fury about this outcry. The Hayes office worked with AHA to write guidelines for animal performances. Starting in 1940, the AHA was granted access to sets. So at this point, um, they would insist that so, okay, there was a lot of extremes that this is the 1940s. So a lot of extremes at the time in general. So things like making sure that marital bedrooms had twin beds. I love Lucy. Uh-huh. And that Betty Boob dressed more modestly. They also banned apparently animal cruelty as well. So it's the morality police, I guess. It's, it's under the same umbrella, I guess. I guess. Um <laughs> That seems very different. <laughs> it does seem very different. <laughs> Having horses run off a cliff. Sex and death. Let's just put two it twin beds. Um, okay. So uh films were submitted to the office before release to get a certificate of approval, and often changes were demanded before the certificate would be issued. Um, my problem with this is like the film was made. <laughs> Yeah, people <laughs> so are still far. making money off of the blood of the horses. Right. So, so it's like, okay, so you don't like how that went, great, but like those two horses already died. So, okay, yes, you make them do it different, but like they already died. So there was no accountability. Right. So in 1968, the Hayes Coast would was dumped mostly because it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Now you could have actors swear. You could ridicule the clergy. Married couples could be in the same bed. So a lot of rules were changing around that time. It was good news for movies, but not animal welfare. So unfortunately, this rule got clumped into a bunch of ridiculous things. And then they were like, so they threw that out too. Right. So the whole thing. That's how government works, though. They they throw these extra bills in. That's why stuff gets tied up. Right. Right. They're like, we'll pass that if you put this on. Mm -hmm. Right. So the end of the Hayes Code contributed to the rise of New Hollywood, the golden age of movie making, um, and younger filmmakers were creating realistic and daring movies with subtly and less dependence on formula and creating more and more realism, trying to do location shootings, and sadly, more problems with animals started happening again. So through the final days of the 60s into the 70s, it was bleak. Um, uh, some people were banned from film sets altogether um, who may have may take issue with the animal abuse. There was a push for gritty realism and they didn't like to be told what they could or could not do with animals. Mm-hmm. Um, she called those the dark days because AHA wasn't on set. They couldn't prove that the two mules were killed in the Spanish set of Patton, for example, in a movie in 1970 in a scene in which General, mm-hmm. Patton, General Patton shoots two mules blocking a bridge. But was it a snuff film? Do you know it? I mean, no, I don't think so. I've seen Patton many times. Is it a snuff film? Well, snuff film means people are killed in the thing. Oh, but you mean a horse. But were they actually killed on the set? That's what they're saying is that they have no way to prove it because they weren't allowed to be on set during Um, I'm horrified. So the AHA's list of an unacceptable, unacceptable movie cites a litany of animals killed for entertainment 
horse wire trips, mistreatment of animals, and live snakes, live snakes sliced into pieces. Oh, why? Mm-hmm. That's so mean. So yeah, a lot of those movies in that me. era. Cause I like the Western stuff. You used to have that big big snake. I don't I don't like watching them eat rats because like they rats. don't have eight legs, they don't go Ooh. Yeah. So many people are terrified of snakes. I they don't bother me. They don't I bother me at all. Them. Spiders, terrified. <laughs> exactly. I've had too many on my face in this last year where it's like they're on my face and I do this. I'm like, oh, holy shit. Oh, no. I hate them so much. I hate them. It's true. Why are they on your face? Why are they on my face? Oh, my grandma. My grandma. Sorry, I keep going fuzzy with you. I know. Um, my grandma was terrified of snakes and she'd be like, if you had a fake one or was on TV, she'd start screaming profanities at you. She'd get so angry. (laughs) So angry. I think there might be a religious connotation. Maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. The serpent. Mm -hmm. So, so to me, like when I think Westerns and I'm going like, okay, 1920, sure. Yeah. There was animal abuse. Yeah. They thought those things were okay. It's horrific. But like time-wise, it makes sense to me. I didn't so much think about the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. But it makes sense with that act going away and all of a sudden the restrictions get lifted. And then, and we're like, you know, more free as a society. So people are trying to test that a yeah, bit and more. just like not cool people <clears throat> right. producing. So that gritty realism um, became like something that people were aiming for. Oh, <laughs> so there was two notorious animal welfare abuse reports in Hollywood history that are well known. One was in Apocalypse Now. Oh, Do you remember that movie? Of course. 1979. So there is a real water buffalo that was slaughtered. <gasps> and so movie got lots of great reviews. Um lot of upset um it violated the cinematographer cinematograph animals act um so one thing that i read so in a different article their justification for this was that the indigenous tribe in the area um would have a sacrificial like slashing it was true to how that would go mm-hmm. of a water buffalo and so it was actually picked by the indigenous tribe but were they to doing do it. that it wasn't them that did it so what this is where people are like That's yeah different. but no yeah like so yes it was picked by them yes it would have died anyways which is this the cinema's excuse is it would have died anyways we checked with the tribe no. but they hacked it to death for the movie and filmed it but and it's lacking all the spiritual significance exactly Exactly. So, like, just because it would have died anyways doesn't mean it was the same. Right. So that was so, which is horrifying because I just I don't know why, but I mentally assume that in movies when I'm watching is fake, <laughs> and to know that like something like that was oh no, you just sat and slaughtered an animal and made me watch it. Like no, I didn't cons- I didn't consent to the that trauma. Mm. Um, right. So, Heaven's Gate. 1980. I haven't seen this movie. Have you seen it? You have? I think I have. It okay. sounds familiar. What was it about? It's a, I, I have no idea. Familiar. Um, it was kind of identified as a flop overall. Um, it was a very expensive movie that failed overall. Was it? A, it put United Artists out of business, like the production. Was company. it about the cult? 
Maybe I'm thinking of the cult. Oh, no, I think you're right. Cause there's, maybe you're right. Cause this is, gets really gross. And so maybe that's why. Oh, that was one of my old podcast topics was the Heaven's Gate cult. Will you look up? Those are the ones with the purple Nikes. Will you look up at the um, Heaven's Gate movie, 1980? I can't cause my phone's over there. Heaven's Gate, 1980 movie. Okay. So it was not good for animals either. Um, I don't remember there being okay so maybe I'm curious if it's the same or not there were chickens that who died in in stage cockfights in it a horse was killed in an explosion this cannot be the cult okay okay it has to be different 1980 heaven's gate film an epic western film written and directed by Michael Simino okay Okay, so yeah, because I don't think the Heaven's Get Cult was till like the 90s or okay, 2000s okay. or 2010s. So a horse was actually exploded. Um, what? There were other An alive horse? An alive horse became oh. a dead horse. In the 80s? That's too. I know. I know. That's why I'm so. Okay. A horse was killed in an explosion. Horses were killed and injured in a battle scene. Other horses uh, were alleged to have bled bled to provide gore for humans to be smeared with the when actors did they start putting in like no animals we'll, we'll, get, there. we'll, we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there because i would have thought by 89 i know i would be in place me too and it wasn't um all because the aha was gone at that point so it was also claimed that cattle were killed and gutted so the innards could double for those of human actors the AHA, which hadn't been allowed on set again. The props department? Come on, guys. So the AHA boycotted the film with picket lines. So I got to say, like, the AHA had some silly things, but they did continue advocating for animal rights throughout film after that happened. Um, the boycott was taken up across the U.S. by local humane groups. And this time there were no voices sticking up for the artistic merit of film, which is what kind of was leaned upon. I'm going to have a really good collage for this episode. I'm so excited. I'm already envisioning it. Good, good. Just you wait, folks. So did you bring it to show? Show Hold on, I forgot. Sorry. (laughs) The Hayes Code didn't come back, but AHA monitors came back on sets through a contract with the Screen Actors Guild after this. The Association of Motion Picture and Television Producers and the No Animals Were Harmed disclaimer that you mentioned um, came into being after because of this. So what year? Um, it would have been after bah, 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 1980. I don't know, probably a while after 1980 would be my guess, because that's when it was made. Mm-hmm. Um, the AHA film and TV unit isn't paid by the individual producers of a film, but it gets most of its budget from yearly grants by the Industry Advancement and Cooperative Fund, so separate entity. Oh, 1988-ish published a set of guidelines for film and TV production. So that's when I was born. Since then, they say the incidence of death illnesses and deaths of animals on set has gone down. Hopefully. Um, there are still occasional violators, especially when filming takes place overseas. That <sighs> often is uh, the case. Because there's no oversight. Mm-hmm. So some of Werner Herzog's films, which often include scenes of simulated animal cruelty, often arouse suspicion. So sometimes there's ones that say it's simulated, but when they film overseas, there isn't someone on set to verify that. What are some of those films by that person? I would have to look them up. That name sounds familiar. Werner Herzog? Yeah. 
Before production even begins, the AHA um, in the United States reviews scripts, looks for potential problem situations first, and advises the producers on how to handle the animals they, that they plan to work with. Frequently mocked, it has also probably created a widespread awareness of animal welfare um, as an issue. Um, AHA's guidelines evolve sometime in the light of new research, so it changes as they learn more information, which I think is good. There was a time when they did allow tranquilization for the sake of entertainment, as long as it was done by a licensed vet, um, and as long as the vet stayed present on the set. That's still fucked up, though. Right? But on a film shoot in the late 90s, sorry, in the late 90s, a bird was tranquilized on set. It was very warm, and the bird didn't make it. We just said, you know what? No. So the guy, right? So the guideline was changed. Um, it's just not CGI that shit. There's also been people in Hollywood who care about animals and they want to see them treated well. On the set of Horse Whisper, 1998. Again, like I'm just it is so appalling to me that this is all so fairly recent. Yeah. Um, A distressed crew member collared the AHA monitor, a horse with a bloody wound. She she reported and said, in the corral, nobody seemed to care. They went to the corral. The horse stood there and had just a bloody wound on it. Um, And there was four other horses in the corral that had similar wounds. Each had an identical bloody wound, all superb examples of prosthetics. So animal actors today have it kind of cushy. So AHA doesn't have to look out for tripwires, such things like that. Um, they said that we wouldn't let the horse run even three eighths of a mile for filming with drugs in its system, for mm-hmm. example. So there's way more protections or screening things now. Um, I'm just kind of horrified that it took this long yeah. and all that it took was one law to fall away for people to not give a shit anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> which just shows how fragile, like you said, like policies and all of that, that holds mm-hmm. this all up. The um, house of cards. <clears throat> So I wanted to share one thing I found horrifying. So all those things are horrifying, but one movie that I grew up like really liking. Uh-oh. I know. What? what is the, it's the us? one in the I entire know. list that I was like, fuck, that I knew it. Milo and Otis. Oh, I never watched that movie. It's like a it's cat, like a cat and a dog that like get lost in the wild. It looks so dumb to me when I came out. It's like a homeward bound situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so I have to tell you about this. Did they kill those? Okay, no. So, okay. This was originally released in Japan in 1986. So again, we're not in the U.S. during this. The Adventures of Milo and Otis depicted best buddies, the kitten and the pug dog. It was a little pug. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So it was... My phone's freaking out. Over there, yeah. So it was three years after that they released the U.S. version. As cute as the film may be, it has a lot of rumors of animal cruelty surrounding it. So particular emphasis on a claim that 20 kittens were killed during the filming. Wait, that a whole bunch of Otis's? No. Or Milo's? Milo. Milo? Was Milo the cat? Otis? I think Milo was the cat. It's been a while. Um, so the rumors weren't substantiated but again it was originally filmed in japan um and animal rights activists point at that the film's end credits don't use the standard american humane association disclaimer but instead use a vague statement that says the animals used were filmed under strict supervision with the utmost care for safety and well-being the cat's milo 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 Mm -hmm. oh a ginger cat 
Harken back to my episode on the mistreatment of redheads. Mm -hmm. I do mention how ginger cats are treated differently. It's true. So, so because they're saying that they use, they did not use the statement that no animals were harmed. They use a statement that animals were under the supervision uh, with the utmost care for their safety and well-being. Oh, cool. Which well, basically means we tried. Yeah, we, they were under supervision with the supervisors. We tried. We cared about them. Sorry. Sorry. We were like following guidelines, but didn't actually care. Right. So a lot of what made the film, I mean, so there's, okay. So if the scenes in the actual movie are pretty terrifying after I learned about the animal abuses that are probably real in those older movies, because again, as a kid watching it, you're like, this is not real. You're telling These yourself to comfort yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's one particular scene where a cat, the cat Milo, plunges more than 100 feet off a cliff into the ocean. Don't fucking throw that oh, yeah. cat off a cliff. That's why so many kittens died. I will. Hmm. I'm flipping a table. There were other scenes that. I'm taking um, names. Other scenes like Otis, who is fighting an actual or fighting a bear. So there is a real bear in the scene and there is the pug dog Otis there. Like, and one thing that the the animal rights um, folks are paying attention to is the real distress that the animals are under. Like you can train an animal to do, do things, but to actually show fear and, and like scare them. Right. So how, and, and they, we don't know that the dog's, were okay during this, but they put a bear and a dog together and filmed it. Usually doesn't end well, right? So it's like you hope that that went well and no problems were there, but there's no guarantees of that. No one was on set to verify. Somebody knows, though. I mean, they filmed the whole thing, so somebody has seen the other footage. Mm -hmm. You know, so it exists out there. Maybe an investigation. Um, be done because I want to come. There's also Milo the cat again floating helplessly down a river and then being attacked by a crab. That's all I know about that movie is the floating down the river scene. And it gets attacked by a crab, like actually attacked by a, a crab and like Ouch. right, really, really this kitten. On you could yeah, yeah. Paw. So really, what you're saying is anything prior to '89, when we think it's fiction, it could be fact. Right. Horrifying. Yeah, so like, and it's Horrifying. it's gonna literally make me like scared to watch older movies. I know. I'm like, I won't want to. I can't. I'll think it's my real. stress. I can't watch National Geographic with like real animals being taken down, like a caribou like in an actual natural like, setting. Yeah, it's when it's so like sad. when like nature just is fucking scary by the itself. Takes down the wildebeest. Right, and I now know. I have to worry that Otis is actually taking on a bear. I can't do that. Are you kidding me? Do you know how many straight cats I've taken in? That's my topic. Hmm. So I wonder how this correlates with like animal experimentation and guidelines different like, future topic if that's a whole another thing like when because so you have to think about like um the entities that care about it at the time so mm-hmm. this would be consumer products um probably a whole different branch of the government that oversees that like mm-hmm. the only reason animal activists got involved is because people started getting pissed actors people who had influence started getting pissed first and it spread because again like when you're behind the screen it's so easy to be lied to Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, unfortunately people think that that was okay. Like, where's your heart? Well, I think feel like animal people people like that. I think in producers, there's a cultural aspect where Mm -hmm. animals are just seen as to serve man. Mm -hmm. Well, there's even some states that still view animals as property. So you could abuse your animal in theory because it's still some states that see your wife as your property. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, on that note, if you have not listened to our last topic episode, there's only one topic because Macy had the, the vids. Yeah. Um, so I talked about the case of Maya Milietti, whose husband Larry finally is on trial for um, her murder and disappearance. And if you would like to support us, please be our patron on Patreon. It's only a dollar, which is minimal cost to you, but invaluable. To our our self esteem. Shock! Isn't it like five dollars for one of these? It's over five dollars. See for what Kim? Yeah. So we need you know at least fifteen patrons to support our our drinking. Yeah. I mean, we get it, but a dollar helps. You know, you don't have to give us the 15, but a dollar helps. No, if we had 15 one dollars. And we drive out here and we've even resorted to carpooling now because this matters to us. Because, <laughs> yeah. Until next time. Oh, my God. There's such make, a big silence always. Make sure that you don't have your blinder eyes painted. Um. <laughs> Yep. Boycott Edison. <laughs> Turn off your lights. Get rid of those Edison bulbs. Mm-hmm. Or or let's rename them because obviously Edison. Like mounds need to be renamed anyways as well. Rename the mounds. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I feel Bye.